Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to another Empire Podcast special. Hans Zimmer is quite simply one of the finest composers working in cinema today. From humble beginnings as the composer of the theme tune for hit BBC daytime quiz Going for Gold, Hans really has... <laughs> Gone for gold, oh Jesus Christ, working indelibly with the likes of Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott, Terence Malick, Denis Villeneuve, Zack Snyder, Steve McQueen, James L. Brooks, Michael Bay, and more over the decades. Along the way, of course, he's won two Oscars and been nominated for many more. Basically, Hans Zimmer knows what he's doing. And he also knows his way around the live arena, carving out a reputation over the last few years as one of the best live acts around, taking his musical mates around the world, putting together a set list of pure movie magic that frankly is hard to top. In fact, he has just announced a new album, Hans Simmer Live, sorry, misread that, Hans Simmer Live, which will come out on March 3rd, 2023. And his latest tour, Hans Simmer Live, sorry, I did it again, Hans Simmer Live is heading to the UK next June with dates at the O2 in London on June 14th and 15th and Manchester Arena on June 16th. And he's going to Dublin next June as well, which is going to be lovely. Maybe he'll play Going for Gold. Heck, I'd finish with that, quite frankly. Anyway, He's very much in live music mode at the moment. And so when we heard that he was in town last week and up for a chat, we jumped at the chance to talk to the great man about his live life, about translating his music to a gig setting, putting together the perfect set list and much, much more. And when I say we, I mean Amon Warman, who is such a huge Hans Zimmer fan that he was frankly the only choice for the gig. If I'd sent someone else, Amon would have come after me personally. So here you go, Amon Warman's in-depth chat with the great Hans Zimmer. And no, he didn't ask about going for gold. If you ask me, Amon is still playing catch-up. Ask your parents about that reference. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on this very special episode of the Empire podcast by the composer of Gladiator, my favorite score of all time. Also The Dark Knight. Also Batman Begins, also The Lone Ranger, also Man of Steel, and many more besides Mr. Hans Zimmer. What you thought other than Gladiator, the rest was rubbish. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying at all. Right, okay, all right, all right. Okay. Um, we are here to talk uh, about your live album, uh, which you're doing. And you've made two live albums previously. Um, how does this third one differ from what's come before? I, the, the reason we're doing it, we've di- we did this album is just because the band has sort of gotten tighter and we've mm. spent more time figuring out what we can actually get away with and can do. So it's a bit more experimental. It's a bit more out there. And it's 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 just, you know, we've, we've taken a little bit more care about the arrangements, etc. Mm. Um, the other thing which I think is different is there usually is a, there's an energy that you love about a live album, but usually they're not that well recorded you know it's it's hard to find one that's really well recorded mm-hmm. and in this case we actually went i said to stephen lipson who who makes this album who's you know the amazing engineer frankie goes to hollywood grace jones all the uh, jeff beck albums you know you, you name it i mean it's just just great brilliant producer engineer i said to him 
don't necessarily make it like a live album. Make it like you know, you, you know, it, it pops out of your speakers and whacks mm -hmm. you in the chest. You know, <laughs> let's let's have, let's have, as opposed to that sort of the distance a live album usually has. Mm -hmm. I want, and you know, I, I want this to be a great sounding record. So I think I think he managed to do that. Awesome. In fact, I know he did. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think you get to do live is to put a new spin on your original music in ways that you're just not able to do initially in the track, right? Well, it's it's sort of yes and no, you know? There are certain things like like okay, I'll give I'll give I'll give you the best worst example. <laughs> the opening to the Lion King. I'm my aware. friend Lebo we did that in oh God, did we do it ninety three? Something like that. It's a blessing and a curse. I mean, when I found Lebo, he was washing cars in a garage in the valley in Los Angeles. And now he's, you know, but 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 he is known for this thing. And, you know, I mean, he so would like to do this differently. You know, it's just <laughs> one evening, just go and freak out and just maybe not do this. But it's 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 literally his calling card right now. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. You know, and 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 so of course I have to get I, I I I'm making him do it, and then after that I may I let him do whatever he wants to do, you know. But but we gotta have this. So there's a certain expectation that we have to fulfill. And so when I originally planned the tour, and I put the set list together, it was different people tell me different things. It was it was either seven hours long or it was five hours long, but whichever way you look at it, you weren't gonna catch that last train home <laughs> and you were gonna have a miserable time standing standing in the rain. So we managed to get it down and I, I, I just I just I just went radical. I just made a sort of a radical decision, which was, you know, one track for you, one track for me, you know, mm. quite simple, you know, this is what the audience wants to hear. And this is something that I really want to play. And sometimes they coincided, you know, there's, there's that. And um, the other thing is, I, I, I gave the audience the respect that they deserved, because everybody was going, you know, a modern audience has an attention span of a gnat. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, you got to make things short, you can't, you know, and, and, you know, Pirates is like 14 minutes long and, 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 and you know, things like Dune, etc. I mean, the, 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 those are sort of expansive pieces, you know, and, you know, and, and, and Lion King, yes, you get that, that thing at the beginning, but then you get a whole new arrangement of everything else. And, and yeah, it's, 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 it's not short, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there that, that one saying, I mean, inter, you know, interstellar, I mean, there are bits which, you know, I don't think anybody's ever heard live, you know, and, and I, I just, I just wanted to do them. There are things, you know, of movies that weren't a huge big success, but they're, but they're, but musically they're fun to play, you know, and 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 it's about the musicians. I mean, I think I'm not bragging about me. I'm bragging about them. Mm. I'm bragging about that. I think I have the best band in the world at the moment. I mean, I have phenomenal musicians, and I want them to be heard, and I want them to have a have an opportunity to stretch out a little bit. When you're crafting scores for various films, how much are you thinking about, yes, I want this to work in the body of the film, but I also want it to work on its lonesome? Because I think that's part of the reason why you're able to have a live show. 
as opposed to some of the scores I listen to, like it really works together for the film. I'm not sure I'd be excited to listen to that on its own. It's actually a really good question. I mean, I think I think one of my jobs is to add something to the film that can stand on its own two feet autonomously, mm-hmm. add a bit of excitement and do something like that. And then at the same time, yes, there'll be scenes where I'll be sitting back where, where I'm trying to just, I'm doing anything and everything to get out of the way of, of you know, somebody's acting, somebody's performance. But there are other scenes where, you know, I, you know, I, I get to grab the reins of the thing. Mm-hmm. So, no, not everything works, but I think everything should be uh, should be played and created and, and, and made with, you know, with commitment and with a certain amount of recklessness and with a certain amount of sort of, you know, it's not background music. It certainly is not, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, um, and I suppose... You know, like the compliment is, you know, when a Chris Nolan who has written his the, the words in the screenplay is burying his words in the music, you know, and, and okay, people are getting annoyed about this sometimes. And what they don't realize is actually Chris gives you the information very clearly three times in the film. So if you don't hear it one time because he lets the music give you an emotional version of the information, you know, just go with it. You yeah. know, it's an experience. It's not a math lesson. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I agree. Um, so how do you shape the set list for a show like this? I knew I wanted to start with something weird and something new. And and and, and I thought it'd be daring to have Loire, who sings on Dune. I, I thought, I, first of all, it was like, was she going to be up for it? Because it's a real test of nerves um, to say, okay, will you go and stand by yourself on the stage and sing for four minutes by yourself? No, no, nothing, just naked vocals. Mm. So I had, I had like a daring beginning. And from then on I could, you know, and then it was like, the, 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 there were certain things I had promised people I would do. You know, I would, I, I would, I, I, there, there are certain things I had failed at before. I mean, it, the, putting the last samurai in, I, I had done, I don't know, I had rewritten and reinvented and recut and re edited and re whatever the last samurai four or five times. You know, I really worked hard on it and it never worked. It, it took me a really long time to figure out that. There's like a favorite part that I finally had to cut out, and that's when it worked. So you know, some sometimes you just you just you just have to you just have to do that. You just have to go and kill off your favorite part <laughs> to make things work to to actually get the whole piece in. I mean, to get the piece in. And I mean, you, you're you're saying, how did you make the set work? Well, l- l- let me answer it by uh, let me answer it like this. Do you know Do you know anybody else who can end their set with the Lion King and make the first <laughs> encore James Bond? <laughs> I'm just check my list. No, no, right. I no, I do not. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a it's not a bad bad way, you know, to build up to that. You know, I agree. You mentioned the vocals there. I've seen your live show twice. I saw it once in Wembley a few years ago, and once at the O2 earlier this year. Right. The vocalists really get a lot of focus in yeah. these shows. It feels like, you know, you really, is, is that the instrument that you enjoy writing for the most, would you say? 
No, it's just it just so happens that Dune was a perfect foil for for you know the, this extraordinary singer and Gladiator was really mm. an important thing for 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 the voices and um, yeah, you saw Wembley when we when we were doing Angels and Demons, which is a piece yeah. which I originally wrote to show that some things are impossible to sing. And then, of course, it's it's sort of amazing. <laughs> you you write something which at the time is actually impossible to do. You know, it's it's all about human stamina. It's all mm. about people do need to breathe occasionally. You know, there, there is that little <laughs> pesky thing. I know. Um, <laughs> and then you write it, and then, you know, you, you have a go at recording it, and it turns out, yeah, it really is impossible, you know, and, and you, you knew that, you know, and, and, and then slowly the choir figures out a way of how to make it possible. So we, we, we reinvent not just the music, but we reinvent the way things get to be performed. Or, you know, things Guthrie, you know, Guthrie Gavin, my, my, my amazing guitarist, manages to do, you know, I, I remember on Dune, Asking Guthrie to do something and, and, and like let's just go off into his own world and do his own thing for something. And I got it back and I, I gave it to Tina, my cellist, and I said, Can can you you know double track this? Can you can you copy what Guthrie has done? And getting an answer back and go, and her saying, There are notes in there that don't actually exist in the real world. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it, but I can't guarantee it. You know, so 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 I I love the idea that that film music, or that I'm able to take film music, or, and film, and put another set of actors in that are the best of 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 you know, the best in the world. You know, and I think I think that's that's a really sort of extraordinary thing. It's not just you know. It's 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 just driving it forward, you know, dri driving it forward with you know, having Johnny Marr play guitar, you know, it's it's like, you know, I don't I don't know, there's something really cool that happens. It's not a guitar, it's Johnny Marr. It's it's a different thing. It's mm -hmm. it's having another set of actors and another set of artists come and join the film right at the last moment. What are the instruments that you love playing and hearing in a live show? Well, I'm a geek. I'm a synth geek. So, you know, it's like there are far too many synthesizers floating around. I mean, mm -hmm. it really is embarrassing. <laughs> and then, I mean, the, you know, the, uh, my, uh, our woodwind player, Pedro Eustache, I mean, Venezuelan. I have, you know, one of the things which is strange about my band is I have a lot of refugees. I have a lot of refugees from different cultures and different continents. And you suddenly realize that Lebo from South Africa, who I first met when he was working in a car wash in LA, is doing a terrible job. He's scratching <laughs> the shit out of these cars. Um, you know, but he was a political refugee from South Africa. You know, Pedro is, is a refugee from Venezuela. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a whole orchestra, which we had booked three years earlier, was, was from Odessa uh, in Ukraine. And so two weeks before we started rehearsing, the war started, and we, we managed to get 10, 10 people out. Um, you know, and it, 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 it so... Part of what the band's job is, or maybe it's my job, or maybe it's just the way it is, is, is to create the sort of haven for 
you know, for people for, for who's been whose countries have gone, you know, and become disaster zones, you know, and 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 there's something so wonderful about. The, 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 not only the cultural mixture, the, 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 you know, the, you know, I don't think there are that many bands that have three girl dramas in them. You know, it's just, it, it, they're not, they're, they're not playing because they're girls. They're playing because they're great, because mm -hmm. they're good. They're fantastic, you know, and, um, and, and, and to, to just, just have that mixture of, of, we all speaking in English to each other. And I think the—I mean, that's the, in, the, there are a few people who, who, for whom English is their native tongue, you know. Um, and it's 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 sort of good because at the end of the day, when we actually get down to it and we start playing music, we really understand each other, and we're really speaking the uh, the, the language that we're most comfortable in. What is most satisfying to you in a live show? An audience member who immediately gets what you're playing or an audience member who is trying to figure it out for a few seconds because of a new arrangement or because it's fresh? I've always done this, you know, like, look, Pirates is a pretty popular thing. You know? Yes, it is. <laughs> so I've always put the, the main tune at the... 14 minutes of everything else and then you get the tune <laughs> yeah. you know which has always been fun because because you know it's like is he gonna do it is he gonna do it is he gonna do it yes i will do it but you know but, but you know you know let, let's get everybody to earn it a little bit mm. you know yes I, I i i don't know i mean i i i want people to enjoy the journey mm. do you know what i mean and sometimes if you give everything away right away it's 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 you know, what's the point? Yeah. You know? Especially because the concert isn't about us, the band. It's about us, everybody in that room. And mm -hmm. the audience is as much a participant as the band is. You know, what we get back from the audience is 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 what makes the band good. You know, and and I I never know what I'm gonna say. And no, I've never got anything prepared. So it's it's I'm I the only way I know how to do this is to treat it like a dinner party, right? You know, we're just having a bit of a chat, <laughs> right? And I, I think you probably noticed that, like in, yes, in Wembley, <laughs> it's just like, you know, sometimes I rabbit on for like ever, sometimes I got nothing to say, you know, it's like, and and sometimes what what I say is completely unimportant because, you know, you you, you have a Rosanda play a beautiful violin solo or Tina play a beautiful cello thing and, you know, you're just gobsmacked and you just want to mm -hmm. shut up and, not take not take away from the magic of what these people do. You were talking about encores earlier. You did not mention the second encore that you always do, which is Time, Time. Uh, which is a phenomenal track. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of music that you can, that you've done, that you can say this of, but especially of Time, that movie has just, trans that track rather has transcended the movie and it's become its own beast. I've seen it and heard it in so many different forms and other stuff. Did you have any inkling that it was going to land like that? And when did you first realize that it was landing like that? There's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of baggage that comes with time. Mm. It took me, it took me, a, a, it, it took me forever to write. It's, it's only eight notes, really. You know, actually it's not even eight notes, it's like six notes and a seventh note or something like this, changes or something. Um, 
because I because I needed to get rid of all the wrong notes. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It's like all the ones that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finished it, and I was in my studio, and 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 I phoned Chris Nolan, and I said, "Hey, Chris, I think I think I got something." And can I play it to you over the phone? And I just, you know, squeeze the receiver under my ear and, 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 and you know, over my shoulder. I just start playing it to him, and he's like, "Yeah, that's 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 really great. I think that that'll be exactly what we need." Mm. And then a couple of months went by, and Chris is over at the studio. He's going, "You know that piece you played me over the phone? Whatever happened to it? You never sent it to me." <laughs> and I realized just playing it to him. Was like and him going, yeah, I like it. Was mm. was enough, and I mm. never recorded it. Wow! So <laughs> it nearly got lost. So luckily, Chris said, "Whatever happened to that piece?" And we went, "Oh, you know, okay, fine. We'll rec- okay. I'm recording it now, <laughs> right?" And then there's this sort of a tragic bit, and and the mm. show you saw at Wembley, I think you saw off. probably our first show when when I started off yeah. driving Miss Daisy, right? Yes, right. right. Okay, so driving with Stacey, I I used to have a publicist, Ronnie Trayson, mm. and she was murdered a few years ago. She was mm. just a little old lady stopping a traffic light in the middle of the night in Beverly Hills, and somebody's trying to rob her, and she was one of those feisty little old ladies, so she wasn't having any of it, and the guy shot her. But the first piece of music she ever heard of mine was driving with Stacey, and she came to, she came to me and she said, you're good. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to be your press agent. And the last piece of music she heard was Time when mm. we were doing Inception. I remember us all being Chris Nolan and his wife Emma and myself. We were all at some dinner, and Ronnie was there, and Clint Eastwood was there. Wow. And Chris was going, Wow, look, it's Clint Eastwood. I'd love to meet Clint. <laughs> I said, no problem. I know Ronnie knows him. Hey, Ronnie, will you take Chris over to meet Clint? And I saw just, you know, like, I don't know, 10, 20 feet away from me, you know, it's Chris Nolan, the, the new great, you know, the new great director talking to, you know, the old great director and star Clint, and they're having a lot to talk to each other about. They're obviously fans of each other. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie's standing next to them, and she's got her, like, hand on her hip. And I'm thinking, there's a dame at the top of her game. It really is, <laughs> like, it's fantastic to to see, you know, she's always been relevant, she's still relevant, and a week later, she was dead. Mm. So... Time always became that last piece I was playing in honor of her. It was really just a personal thing. It was mm. just like my way of always going, I don't want to forget you. You were you were you know, you were marvelous. You mm. were wonderful. You helped me have a career. You you know. She do you know she do stuff like, you know, she you know, before I would before I would come and do an interview, she'd like grab my chin, look at my face, <laughs> spit on a handkerchief, clean my face up, tuck my shirt in, and then go, just don't say anything stupid, all right? You know? So I don't have anybody who goes, just, just don't say anything stupid anymore. And I miss that, you know? And she used to come to the kids' birthday parties and stuff like that. Um, so time's taken on a, you know, a special meaning, and it's, it's, it's my way of, you know, it's it's... Yeah, I play it for the people I love, mm. you know. And funny enough, 
those people in the audience are now part of, by the end of the show, I hope that they're part of this family. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know? And I'm very, I'm, 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 I'm open and you can ask me anything. I will tell you anything, you know, because I think this, this last tour, this album that we're putting out, the important part about it was we were the first show that went out while COVID was still raging. We were mm. putting the show together while most countries were saying, you can't tour yet. And we had booked all these dates hoping that we could, and we did. So we were bringing people together again, you know, which was an important thing. And at the same time, that on the one hand, like on the left hand, there was COVID raging. On the right hand, some maniacs started a war in Ukraine, and our orchestra was from Ukraine. So, so there was this, you know. So behind me, there was all this heaviness of 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 knowing these people suffering. You know, these people playing playing beautifully for for the audience, while really they were dying to get to their phones so that they could f see what's happening with the house, what's happening with mom, what's happening with the the boyfriend who was called up to go to the go to the front. So constantly real life was interfering or real life was rearing its ugly head in one way or the other. And at the same time, real life was rearing, you know, its own, the, the, the beauty of people being together again, you know, so, so it, so it wasn't as, it wasn't as trivial as, as, as it could have been. It really, it really felt like there was a bit of, there was some, some human weight that was, played for and about every night. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, can't listen to it again now with that knowledge. Um, I often call film music the link between the head and the heart. Yeah. Because it's all about eliciting emotions. And I was wondering, is there an emotion that you enjoy trying to elicit more so than any other? No, yeah, like scaring the children occasionally. <laughs> it's always fun. Um, all right, here's my thing. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's uh, you 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 you're absolutely right ab about you, you know the way you you think about music. Mm -hmm. Um I tell you what is really important to me because I know I'm I know I have a very very big weapon in music. And so what what I what I see music as is just like it it's telling you there's a door that I can open and and you are allowed to have an experience. It just says you can have an experience now. Mm -hmm. But I don't want you to know I don't I don't want to dictate what your experience is. I want you to have autonomy. I want you to have control over it. So even if it's a love theme, I want it to be your love theme. I want it to be your experience. I don't want to I don't want to go and you know, Ridley Scott used to say to me, um, sentimentality is unearned emotion you know and i think he's absolutely right and i think i think it should go one step further which is a composer shouldn't go and tell you what to feel he should just give you the possibility to feel you know and i think i, I i'm i'm sort of trying to stick to that and sometimes it would be so much easier <laughs> to go and and just listen i know how to write a schlocky love theme trust me <laughs> i know how to do that but i i just don't want to do that i i i want to i i, I want to be decent i want to give, i want to respect your feelings i just want to say that i just want to 
give you the possibility of having feelings, of feeling something. Mm -hmm. Because, because bloody hell, we live in a crazy world. I mean, things are really weird. And, and the one thing I can do is, you know, everybody's working hard and our concerts are not cheap. So our, our films aren't cheap. So the only thing I can do is, when you come and see us or when you come to one of our movies, you know, I promise you, we worked really hard at trying to do something of quality and distinction. Mm. And we're, we're, we're respecting, you know, how hard you're working. And you can either go and spend a couple of hours in the pub and or you can come and see us. And I hope we can make the experience as, at least as good as a pint of beer. Mm. Hopefully a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about your love of sense. Um, I am a massive fan of a little 1993 movie called Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Right. And I just learned <laughs> Did you, fairly oh, recently yeah. that you worked as a synthesizer on that film. What are your memories of that and working with the great Shirley Walker? I loved, you know, Shirley was my orchestrator <laughs> for many years. And I actually fired Shirley out of love. Um, because she was no, it, it was so hard back then. It's still hard for a woman to 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 get a foothold in the composing world. But I knew as long as she was my orchestrator, you know, that, that, that it was safe. You know, it's just making it's just making decent money. You know, mm. she was never. It was going to be. It was going to be virtually impossible to take the risk and go out there. You know, and 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 be a composer. So I, I said, Shirley, I love you very much, and that's why I'm firing you, and you're going to go and do your own movies. <laughs> and if you ever need anybody to go and play synthesizers, I, I'm available, I'm cheap, <laughs> you know. Um, so so that, that was the deal. And, of course, I loved it. You know, I, I love – and it's funny because I then ended up doing a Batman movie. And, of yeah. course <laughs> – and, and so it brought a lot of memories back about uh, – mainly about Shirley and and, and – and, me having the opportunity, and I'm going to use it again, saying there was a woman who could write an action cue that could break you in half. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like there was a woman who knew how to, to I, she was phenomenal, yeah. you know, and I miss her. I, you know, I mean, she died too young. You know, Bounty cancer on. is a bitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I'm, if if I can say I'm I might have done something good in this life, you know, maybe maybe one of them was firing Shirley so that she would go and write that score that mm. you would enjoy and you know. Yeah, that's one of the the opening yeah. cue with the composers yeah. Hans Zimmer, composer of Gladiator, Driving Miss Daisy, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises. And many others, which yeah, <laughs> we're going to be here remember. all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It's been oh, a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you go. That was Hans Simmer in conversation with Amon Warman. I particularly loved the bit where Hans, out of nowhere, went full cockney. Let's hear it again. Bloody hell. And again. Bloody hell. And one more time, just for good luck. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Hans Simmer, everybody. And if after that you have been moved to explore Hans in the live arena, so to speak, don't forget that not only is his new album Hans Simmer live out in March of next year, and it's available for pre-order right now, but the first single from that, The Last Samurai Suite, is out right now, even as we speak. I forget the name of the film that it's from, but it is a cracking 
piece of music. And you can check out all of Hans's tour dates and book tickets via HansSimmerLive.com. Okay, that's enough for me. I'm off to, well, I was going to say listen to his score from Dunkirk for a little light relief, but quite frankly, I'm just going to listen to Hans Simmer saying bloody hell over and over again on a loop. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Enjoy. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Bloody hell.